Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life with Anna Victoria and Luca. Hi, everyone. So today's guest is Sarah Reardon, who is a board-certified pelvic health physical therapist and owner of NOLA Pelvic Health in her hometown of New Orleans. So, Luca, <laughs> I'm sure you have so much to say on female pelvic health. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, not much to say, but having sometimes uncomfortable conversation is very good. And yeah. especially because we're about to have a daughter and those yeah. un- uncomfortable conversations are extremely important to have. Uh, either yeah. they come from you or they come from me. I will volunteer so that I don't have to, okay, you know, you don't you. have to. <laughs> but I mean, I do think it's still important for men to be aware. And hey, they're single fathers, you know, raising daughters. Exactly. It's kind of your case too, by the way. <laughs> you know, right. when you oh were a teenager, gosh. your dad was the only parental figure at the time. Yeah, I was raised by a single father. And oh gosh, like this is more in the context of of my period, but I just remember my dad like never even saying a word. He would have his female coworker go buy whatever I needed and then just drop it at the door, never say a word. Literally, there was never even one exchange of words. And, and that's okay. I mean, you know, hey, it, it, it is what it was, you know. Um, I do think that that was a different time. And now people are kind of opening up more about talking about these uncomfortable, you yeah. know, topics, um, men and women included. And yeah, so there's going to be a lot to learn in this episode. So here is my conversation with Sarah Bearden. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Anna. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to chat. And I have to say, I don't think I've ever gotten such an overwhelming response of like questions and people looking forward to an episode other than this one. When I shared it on my Instagram, got hundreds of DMs and questions for you. So that's exciting. (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. But before we dive in, do you want to just share about who you are and what you're about? Sure. So I am Sarah Reardon. I am a pelvic health physical therapist in New Orleans, and I have an online presence as the Vagina Whisperer. So I share a lot of tips about peeing, pooping, birth, pregnancy, postpartum, all the things. And I'm just really passionate about educating women about this part of our body that we don't talk about often. Yeah. And how did you get into this field? So I'm a physical therapist. Um, I have a doctorate in PT, just like, you know, other physical therapists out there. And I just have always really been interested in women's health. So I did a residency rotation when I was in graduate school and I saw my first vagina and I was like, that's not that bad. It's like working with the foot or something. So, oh my gosh, you know, it's really helping people with something that feels um, sometimes, you know, embarrassing, um, something they've been suffering with for a, a long time and it just really impacts their quality of life. So I 
love the ability to help people with something they didn't know there was help for. And it's, I've been doing it for 13 years throughout my career and it's incredibly rewarding. I mean, I can just speak as a 32 year old woman, you know, like once I got into my fitness journey, I started hearing a little bit about pelvic floor health, but I had no idea what it was about. And honestly, it was something that I kind of was just like, I don't think I have any issues, so I don't need to know anything about it. But now that I'm pregnant, I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, I feel like there's so much that I could have been doing up to now. Um, so can you share what what is your pelvic floor? What are the pelvic floor muscles? And yeah, everything. So um, your pelvic floor is a basket of muscles that sits at the base of your pelvis. So we think about the pelvis like that ring of bones where you have your hip bones in the front and your sacrum in the back and at the very bottom is this basket and that basket is a group of muscles and fascia that help support your organs so your bladder your uterus which holds a growing baby your rectum which holds poop all rest inside of there and these muscles also have um, three openings in females and two in males and they help you know, you have the urinary sphincter where urine exits, the anal sphincter where poop exits, and then you have the vaginal opening for vaginal intercourse and a vaginal birth. So when we think about these muscles, you know, they play a role in our day-to-day -day function and, of course, pregnancy, which you're going through right now, and birth, um, but we don't talk about them often, and they have such important roles, and we often don't think about them until something's not functioning well in that arena, right. and that's typically when people come to see me in my clinic. What are some signs that someone might notice that would ind indicate that they have a weak pelvic floor? So, you know, these muscles, like any other muscles in your body, they can either be weak or they can be too tense. And those are typically kind of the arenas that we see them fall into. Um, often if someone has pelvic floor weakness, some of the things they'll experience are urinary leakage, which we know is so common. Um, they may have a difficult time making it to the bathroom in time to pee or poop, or they may feel pressure or heaviness in their pelvis, like something's falling out, um, something along those lines. What's interesting is, you know, growing up, even as a young woman, we always hear, do your Kegels, do your Kegels, mm -hmm. and to strengthen those muscles. But research shows that a lot of individuals don't know how to do Kegels properly if somebody just tells us, you know, gives us a brochure on how to do them. But also Kegels may not be the right thing. So although some women have weakness, some also have tension. And Kegels would not be the appropriate exercise if you have tension in these muscles. For someone who does have too much tension, one of the questions actually got submitted was someone saying, my pelvic floor is too tight. So what would you um, advise for someone in that case? So if someone does have tension, you know, we think about a lot of relaxation and lengthening. And so I, I'm, I do a lot of yoga. And so we think about even just starting with your breath. I mean, especially during these times, we all, you know, when our bodies have a lot of tension, our pelvic floor also has tension. So just starting with, you know, diaphragmatic breathing, which is, you know, really opening up your rib cage to breathe not cleansing your tush. You know, I find that we're all kind of tensing our butt cheeks all throughout the day <laughs> when I'm waiting in line for carpool or something. Yeah. Um, so just really softening those muscles externally, but internally breathing and then doing some simple stretches like a child's pose or a deep squat or, you know, bring your knee to your chest and breathing along with those. So those are really some, some easy ways to do it. And then in addition, in physical therapy, we do, you know, what's it feels like internal massage to these muscles to help them soften and, and let go. A lot of the submissions that I got were, were women that were like, what is it? You know, like how, like, 
I've heard about it, but like, I don't even know where to begin. I haven't had a baby yet, or maybe they're in their early 20s or even in their teens. Do you feel like there's a point at which it's ever too early to start looking into their pelvic floor health? No, Anna, I don't. I mean, and so, you know, I think what's so interesting is I can look back and I'm Asian and historically in Asian cultures, we don't talk about really um, intimate problems or sexual health. And so, you know, when I got my period when I was 10, which is young, um, I was given like a box of tampons and a book and was like, let me know if you have questions. So, and I think that if we can start educating women um, and even men um, at a younger age, we just can let them know kind of what's normal. And so when something isn't functioning properly, they know that that's not right. So from, you know, young female athletes may often have urinary leakage and kind of educating them about that as parents or coaches. From the first time someone has their menstrual cycle, educating them how to put tampons in or if they should be painful or not, and they shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And then often, you know, even with your first pelvic examination, when you are a teenager in your 20s, that should also not be painful. And just really, you know, being proactive about giving education so that, again, if something's not working well, if there's pain, if there's um, urinary problems or pooping problems, people know that there's help for that. How do you suggest like someone who is a young teenager that is already so embarrassed about getting her first period or going to an OB for the first time? Like I would say, you can let me know if you feel differently, but I would say that your line of, of physical therapy is not so mainstream. You know, it's not like you know, you wouldn't go into your doctor's office and have a pelvic floor specialist there. So where where do we begin in giving that education? Right. That's such a great question. And I think it really comes from two areas. I think as medical providers, we need to do a better job. I think pediatricians, you know, we go in for an annual physical. We go in for an annual gynecological exam. I think we need to start asking these questions proactively about, do you have urinary leakage? Is sex painful? Is there anything you want to share with me? And just really, you know, women aren't going to offer this information if we don't ask them specifically about it. So I think from a very young age, starting to ask them consistently at those annual visits, um, if you're a medical provider, and then having resources to refer them to. And then I also think, I mean, you're going to have a baby soon, Mm -hmm. um, a baby girl. And, you know, I have two sons. And really, as parents, um, educating our youth about you know, having these uncomfortable conversations. Um, it, it can't be just giving them a book and of a box of tampons anymore. It, I think that more the more we start to get comfortable talking about it, the more we can help our children be, young, be comfortable talking about it. And it's really, I think if we change those two conversations, we can really make a lot of progress. Yeah, because there's a lot of times that doctors refer people out to specialists, like in ones that are, you know, more mainstream and common. So I mean, I, I I hope that there's progress in the coming years that people, I mean, probably in this case, specifically OBs would start referring out to um, pelvic floor physical therapists. That's Is that the proper term? Pelvic yep, floor, that's okay. the proper term. Okay. And, you know, I've seen a lot of progress. I've been in this field for 13 years and, you know, I've really seen it grown a lot. And even with social media, I mean, it's not yes. physicians who are coming to us. It's, you know, people in the community, it's women, it's moms that are saying, hey, I found you through a friend or someone told me about physical therapy. And they're really starting to advocate for themselves, which is so amazing because that's where 
if we're not getting it from our medical providers, unfortunately, then, you know, we like to talk as women and moms. And so we can really share that information. So it's, um, it's definitely growing. And that's actually how I found you is someone tagged you on my page and I immediately followed you. I already mentioned this to you, but from my, my smaller Anna and Luca page, cause on Anna Victoria, I'll just, will never see your posts. <laughs> I really want to see them. So I'm more likely to see them from there. Um, but yeah, and I, it, like I said, like I'm pregnant, I knew that this was something that like I should be aware of and start learning about, but it almost seemed like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know who to reach out to. And I swear, like the person tagging you, it was like, here you go. Like, this is exactly what you need. No, so you actually, I mean, and you know a lot, it's just kind of not in the context of, right. you know, the specifics. And so I think that, you know, being in the fitness world and being pregnant and sharing so much. But the thing is, you kind of started talking about it. And that's then everybody's like, hey, did you know this? Did you know this? So, you know, I really applaud you for being open about it, because I think that that's how we are able to kind of educate more women. Yeah, absolutely. And it it is, it might be a bit of an uncomfortable topic. But a, I will say I have an overwhelmingly um, majority, overwhelming majority of female followers. So that like also helps me know that like, you know, I'm not subjecting too many men <laughs> to this conversation, <laughs> even though do you think that this is a conversation that men should be involved in as well? hundred percent. I think that, you know, I actually see men in my clinic. You wouldn't know by my name, the vagina whisper, but I've, <laughs> I've treated men throughout my career. And I think it's even harder for them to really start asking for help, having these open conversations. You yeah. know, they have pelvic floors as well. So they may often present with sexual pain, with pooping problems, with urinary issues. So it can present similarly, even if they don't, you know, they obviously don't carry children, but um, they can definitely have pelvic floor issues and then often feel lost about where to go. And then in addition, I mean, we have, many of us have partners who are males. And so I think that, you know, if you're having sexual pain or having pelvic floor issues, helping some of, um, you know, educating our partners can often be, I think, a really helpful part of the process in your own recovery and progress. Yeah, my mind is kind of blown right now because I had (laughs) no idea that men could have any sort of pelvic floor dysfunction. I mean, 100%. Wow. Okay. Well, um, so, (laughs) so aside from the women who are wanting to know like, okay, um, I'm I'm not having a baby anytime soon. What can I do to optimize my pelvic floor health? What about the women that feel like it's too late? So like maybe they've had a baby, they know that they have some pelvic floor issues. Um, how do you address those cases? I'm sure it's a case by case basis, but what what are some of the typical things that you start going through with them? Right. So it's never too late. I mean, I've seen women who you know. I think first, if you've given birth or you've had a baby. Um, you may want a different experience in the future. And so if you have are planning to have another birth, and that's often the case is that maybe someone has pelvic floor issues or they had a traumatic birth and they're like, I'm almost afraid to get pregnant again. And I think it can be really empowering to just start connecting with this part of your body instead of sometimes it's easier to shut it off. Um, so, you know, that's what we're here for. We're help, you know, you're not supposed to know all these parts and how they function. So just starting with seeing a pelvic floor therapist and asking to see one, um, just like if you were to have a knee surgery or a back injury, you'd go see a physical therapist for that as well. And then even if it's years or decades down the line, you know, our bodies change if we are, our hormones are changing or we're going through menopause. And so, I think just being really proactive about advocating for yourself and saying, hey, I want to address these issues because I don't just have to live with them. Again, I think a lot of it's changing the conversation of, 
you know, I always get like a little unsettled in my stomach when I see these commercials that say little leaks are just part of being a lady. And I'm like, no, these are not the messages that we need to be sending to women that they're just destined to be in diapers um, because that's not the case at all. So um, it's never too late. And again, just if you've had a baby, I might check in with a pelvic floor therapist. If you think that you may have issues with, again, urinary, bowel, sexual health, um, you know, check in with a pelvic floor therapist. The the best news is that you go and they say everything's great. And then that's, yeah. you know, best case scenario. And I think also like even just having that conversation and even if everything is great, knowing what to look out for. And, yeah. you know, I... From my perspective, I assume, you know, catching things at the beginning, at the onset is always way better than like letting it go on for years and years when it would be a lot more difficult to correct. Absolutely. So catching it sooner and then even just learning simple things, how to pee, how to poop to prevent issues, I think is really helpful. I was having a conversation at some point in my pregnancy and someone said one way to know if you have a weak pelvic floor is if you can't stop your pee midstream. Is mm-hmm. that correct? So that's one way to see if you can do a Kegel contraction or pelvic floor contraction properly. So yes, that is, okay. that's one way. Um, there's two things though, is that one, we don't really recommend doing Kegels while you're peeing. Yeah. So it's a great way to test it, but it's not something I would want, you know, people doing all the time. But two, again, sometimes people have these really tight pelvic floors. And so even when they try to contract or do a Kegel, it's like their muscles are just kind of jammed and so they're not able to contract. So it's a little bit, it's definitely a, a one sign if they can't do it that it's either weakness or tension and they may want to bring some attention to it or see a specialist. You brought up a commercial about like, you know, say, talk about leaking just being a part of life. There's another type of ad that I've been getting targeted with that I saw the other day and I knew I was going to talk to you and I was like, oh, this is the perfect person to ask about it. Have you ever seen the ads for the squat machine? It's called like the DB method. I've seen that version. Sometimes people will message me and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And so, yes, I've got someone sent me an ad about that. Because they're positioning themselves as being a solution to a weak pelvic floor or that that is one of the benefits of using this machine. I have thoughts on it, but you're the expert, so I would love to hear what you think about it. Um, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts too, actually. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so again, I mean, these one thing: if it was that easy, then a lot of us wouldn't be walking around leaking. It's because yeah. it's not that easy. It's not one size fits all, and you know that for fitness as well. Um, right. So, but two, I mean, these muscles are actually really small muscles, and tightening everything on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that you're targeting those inside muscles, and so. It's, I, in my opinion, I think it's false advertising. I think we're kind of honing in on this vulnerability that some women may have right. and saying, hey, this is what's going to work for you. And then we spend these this money and this time and energy when it's not really going to be an effective way to do it. Not saying it doesn't help some people. I just don't think it's a cookie cutter approach to mm-hmm. telling everybody that they have weak pelvic floors. And I, again, not everybody has weakness. So we're kind of saying, hey, if you've got problems, just do this. And that's really not the case. Right. Yeah. So A, I completely agree. (laughs) My (laughs) thoughts on it, like aside from the pelvic floor part, which like I kind of looked at it and I was like, I don't think it's that easy. I'm not an expert in pelvic floor though. So who knows? But even just like looking at squatting, when it talked like different, there's, you know, different versions of that ad that I've seen. And that it say like, oh, it's going to help you strengthen your core. Like just squatting back does not mean that you're automatically strengthening your core. Like you have to be actively engaging and properly breathing to 
engage your core. Just squatting back on this machine doesn't do anything. And then also we, we could get into talking about stabilizer muscles. Like just squatting back on a thing is not, that's not real life squatting. That's not what you're going to do into your day to day. So if you're only relying on a machine that is assisted essentially, then when you do go to squat in your day to day life, like you actually could risk injuring yourself because you haven't built those stabilizer muscles. So just to set the record straight, anyone who's curious about that machine, I do not recommend it. (laughs) We're not fans. (laughs) Yeah, not a fan. But you bring up a great point is that it's it's all about the coordination of breath and those stabilizing muscles and and active engagement. And you do such an incredible job of kind of coaching that in your fitness um, routines that I think that that's important. You can't just kind of be like, go jump on this machine and do it. And that's not going to be effective. Right. Well, and I actually, another question that I got from someone was, can too much exercise negatively affect the pelvic floor? So um, absolutely. Just like too much of anything. It's all about balance. And so, you know, one of the things I really coach women on is that, you know, if we do bar, if we do Pilates, if we do things that, you know, or high intensity fitness um, exercise, where you're doing a lot of contracting, you just want to follow that with some relaxation. And again, some of those stretches that I mentioned earlier of a child's pose, a deep squat, a knee to chest stretch with some breathing and balancing those muscles. If all you're doing is tightening, you just have to make sure that you're balancing it with relaxation to get it back down to its normal resting length. So, and again, other signals of overworking or pain, um, you know, if you start seeing issues with not being able to empty your bladder or having difficulty pooping or painful intercourse, um, then those are some other signs that may mean that you're overworking the muscle. And so let's talk about pooping. (laughs) So how, this is another topic that I was surprised to learn that your pelvic floor health you know, has an impact on. So how are, how are those connected? Oh, I love talking about pooping actually. <laughs> so I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have muscles in the back and part of your backside. And in order for you to empty your tank, um, you need to be able to relax those muscles and you need to be able to kind of effectively breathe and, and put a little bit of pressure to push the poop out. What often happens is that one, if you have a lot of tension, you're not able to relax the muscle or two, you're not really pushing effectively. So you may think that you're bearing down and opening up those anal sphincters, but you're actually tightening the muscle. And then what happens is that you keep straining and pushing, and that can that's what leads to weakness over time. It can lead to hemorrhoids or pelvic organ prolapse. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that all time one of my favorite products is the Squatty Potty. Yeah. Um, because what that does is it puts your knees above your hips level so that you can be in a squatting position. And again, squatting helps relax your muscles. Um, and then I tell people to lean forward. And then as they're pooping, you instead of straining and holding your breath, I always say exhale like you're blowing up birthday candles. So that you're exhaling, you're giving a really good push through your bottom, but you're also not holding your breath. And I mean, it's so funny. I teach my kids how to do this and they're three and five and I can hear them like blowing birthday candles oh. in the bathroom. <laughs> and they have a little stool under their feet because I'm like, if I teach them now, then they'll just know that that's normal. Yes. I was just going to say lucky kids that they are <laughs> learning such, you know, healthy bowel movement habits early on. They just don't know how lucky they are yet. But. Right, right. Um, so I actually, I lived in China for a year and I lived in Shanghai. And I remember going into the public restrooms and being shocked that there were no toilets. It was yes. just a hole in the ground. And so for the entire year that I, I went to school at a Chinese university, um, I was studying Mandarin. So I, you know, I wasn't taking classes in Mandarin or anything, but 
for the entire year, there were no toilets. You yeah. know, obviously in my home there were, but um, this that was kind of when I first personally was exposed to the idea of squatting. Um, and I can't remember, like I had heard of the squatty potty. I can't really remember at what point I bought one because I now have one. Love it. Um, but yeah, and, and I think that that's kind of, it was around the same time. This was in 2012, 2013, that like the squatty potty started, you know, yeah. getting to be really popular. Um, so can you talk a bit about why the squatty potty is so uh, important to use? Yeah. And so, you know, I tell people every time you poop, go ahead and use it. Like, don't wait until you feel like you're having a hard time and then pull, you know, then pull it out. But again, it's just getting, by lifting your feet up on that stool, it gets your knees in a position that you're more like in a squat. So just like when you were in Asia, that's how they poop. If you're, you know, in the woods or camping or whatever, that's how you poop. And because it puts our body in the naturally kind of optimal position for our pelvic floor muscles to relax. And again, like most of us, we sit all day and we have tension and we do exercise that tightens everything. Mm -hmm. So we really need assistance in relaxing these muscles. And so just, you know, putting your feet on that little stool really helps kind of um, get your muscles in a more relaxed position. And so that's one of the top things. I think if we can educate, you know, people on how to poop properly, then we eliminate straining. And then that can also eliminate pelvic floor weakness. I mean, I see women now who've never given birth and they have weakness just because of chronic constipation. And so, um, you know, again, just thinking about how do we get to really the the source and the root of some of these issues versus just saying, okay, take this medicine and now try this thing. And, right. and this procedure, if we really can take a step back and just go back to the basics and educate people on those, I think, again, we can make such a huge change. Yeah, I think it was in the Squatty Potty like advertising, they had a really great video that like explained kind of like why it's so beneficial. And I think it mentioned that like the introduction of the Western toilet is when a lot of bowel issues started occurring or I mean I it's been like a few years since I've seen this video but I just remember thinking like wow like that's really interesting because like you would think that a modern invention would be more anatomically correct and it was kind of the opposite it's totally the opposite it's almost just like you know we talk about toilets like thrones so um (laughs) that it's more civilized or something but yeah I mean I think that that's probably a huge part of it in addition to our diets and our lack of exercise and um, having more sedentary lifestyles. But um, yeah, I love the squatty potty. It's it, it almost like I think I always tell people think of it like unkinking a hose. If you're kind of sitting normally on a toilet, there's like a little kink in your in your hose um, where your poop is coming out. But if you bring your knees up, that kind of unkinks the hose and just allows everything to flow out a little bit easier. There's another brand since I just moved, we had to buy a new squatty potty. <laughs> and when I was looking it up, there was another brand that came up. It was called Tushy. Have you ever heard of it? So Tushy, yes, they actually, um, I, I think that they started with a bidet. And so, oh, yes, yes um, which I also own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and my husband's from Italy, so and he's very mad that we don't have a bidet in our yeah. house. <laughs> you, you need to get one um, yeah. because it's going to be great for postpartum. But that's another yeah. thing. That's a kind of another thing that actually helps a lot with kind of cleaning the area with avoiding excessive, excessive wiping. And so um, Tushy does have a lot of kind of poop products. And then, but I think their bidet is one of their biggest ones, which is also, I think, a great thing, especially in the midst of a pandemic when we're all racing to get toilet paper. I was like, oh, oh I'm good. I've got a bidet. <laughs> yeah. No, Luca literally, he thought this was so, I don't, I can't say if he thought it was hilarious, but like he just definitely like noted it several times because it was crazy to us that toilet paper was running out. Like when it started happening, we just 
truly were running out, you know, like we weren't trying to stock up or hoard toilet paper. And we were like, we just need a few rolls, guys, you know, but Luca with all of his family in Italy, you know, which at the beginning was hit the hardest. He was like, no one's having this toilet paper issue that we're having in the U S and it's because we have bidets. And so that's really um, funny. Yeah. So when I post on Instagram about questions, I got so many women, obviously because I'm very fitness focused and a lot of my followers are, that were saying that they have experienced um, incontinence issues, like when doing jump ropes or any jumping lunges or things like that. So um, is this just, I mean, first, is that just a, you know, your most basic sign of a pelvic floor weakness? And if so, what would you say would be the your first recommendation for them to correct it? Um, so a couple things when you, especially for a postpartum mom, I think what happens is we get this thumbs up from a medical provider at six weeks to like go back and do whatever you were doing. Yeah. But I mean, your body's gone through a huge transformation, as you know, through pregnancy yeah. and then through birth. And so what I really encourage, you know, women to do is to take a step back. So if something's causing you leakage or prolapse or heaviness, it means it's too much pressure for what your those tissues, those muscles can handle. So you've got to take a step back. Um, and that may mean decreasing your reps, decreasing the intensity of what you're lifting, um, you know, not doing the jumping right away. And then you've got to train these muscles, these pelvic floor muscles to meet the demand of what you're asking them to do. So you just can't go back to running. You have to kind of start retraining those, those deep muscles, your transverse abdominal muscles, your pelvic floor muscles. And, you know, that may be doing some Kegel exercises. Um, but again, starting in a lower level position, like lying on your back and then progressing to sitting and standing, making sure that you're relaxing well, making sure that you're doing the Kegel exercises properly, um, and then incorporating those into things like bridges and leg raises and squats and planks. And I always say like, we can do Kegels till the cows come home, but if you don't integrate those that contraction into your day-to-day activity when you're lifting babies and um, you know carrying bags and all that stuff, then you're not using the muscle when you need it. And then you're going to kind of train yourself to bring it into your fitness. So it's really kind of a graduation of, you know, isolation and then bring it into function and then bring it into fitness. And it is a sign. I mean, if you are leaking or anything like that, that's a sign that like your muscles can't tolerate that kind of pressure. So you got to scale back, train the muscles up to meet the demand. This is such a hard question to answer. I'm going to ask at, at what point of, you know, working on strengthening their pelvic floor, should they begin to see progress? And I know that this is a, it depends on the person. It depends on the severity. The reason just why I want to ask is because like, for example, I'm, I'm very big on realistic expectations. I think that, you know, thanks to diet culture, a lot of people think, for example, that you can lose 30 pounds in two weeks, you know, and that's just not realistic. And people try set out to achieve that. And they think that there's something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. the messaging is wrong. Okay. So I I always want to be kind of air on the side of caution to say like, Hey, like it can take eight to 12 weeks, you know, like if you're doing it in a healthy and sustainable way. So knowing that it still depends on the person, is there a timeline, um, even a very flexible one that you would say that someone should expect to see pelvic floor strengthening improvement? Absolutely. So yeah, it's a great question. And again, these are muscles. So like how long does it take for a muscle to start improving in strength? Somewhere between four to six weeks or six to eight weeks. So somewhere in between that time frame, you would start to feel like, okay, I'm getting a little bit stronger. Um, so, but that may mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you can go back to jump roping. It may mean like, oh, I'm able to hold a 10 second contraction now instead of a three second contraction, or I can do Kegel or pelvic floor exercises in standing and not just lying down. 
or I can sneeze and prevent leakage. And, you know, so looking for those little signs of progress, you know, I think realistically between six to eight weeks, you should start seeing some signs that like, oh, I feel like I'm getting stronger, but then you have to continue to challenge the muscle. You know, so you've got to do more endurance exercises. There are even these um, things called vaginal weights, which, um, you know, there we talk about jade eggs. I know a whole nother conversation which we can talk about too, but jade eggs and Kegel balls. But, you know, for people who do higher intensity fitness, I mean, that's something where I'm like, okay, we let's practice using these weights and have you practice doing a squat, you know, a sidestep, a little mini jump and see if you can keep that weight inside so that you can train the muscle to meet the demand of what you're asking it to do. So I have heard of vaginal weights. I've never looked into it, but so you literally insert it inside your vagina and try to hold it in? Correct. It looks like a tampon um, and they have different um, size weights that you can use. And, you know, this is really when someone, I mean, first of all, they have to be able to do contractions and standing. They have to be able to have endurance to the muscle where they can hold it and they're not having tension. So they're not having a lot of that overactivity and they're kind of in that locked up tense state of their pelvic floor. But then, yeah, you insert the weight and then you can practice doing contractions with it in. You can practice doing movement exercises like, you know, a little leg march or a squat. I mean, I have people insert them and get out of a chair or, you know, so really making them functional and teaching their muscles to kind of hold some of that contraction um, while they're doing it. I mean, it makes sense. Like when I think about it, like thinking of how to actually strengthen those muscles and, and giving you something that can allow you to create that mind muscle connection, you know, totally. um, but I, I just have to ask, like, do you have clients that like, I'm, I, I'm just thinking of like the actual process. Like if I had to go through this, would you say, okay, go to the bathroom, put this weight in and then come back and do this exercise with me? Or is this something that you is a, from an afar thing, like an online training kind of thing? You know, both. Um, okay. So both. But when I see people in my clinic, I mean, we're all in. Like we are like, <laughs> we're like, okay, okay, put this in. And yeah. then we're going to practice these exercises. And then we're going to see how you do. And sometimes they're like, okay, I feel like it fell out or this is too much weight. or, And, you know, okay. I think that that's really the beauty of doing this in our clinic is that mm-hmm. you ha- we're personal trainers for your pelvic floors. You know, yeah. whether you need stretching or strengthening, we're there to kind of coach you through it. So it it's demystified. It's not so confusing. And it's not so, um, you know, embarrassing. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that you can still feel embarrassed. But for us, I mean, I've been doing this for so long. It's like working with any other part of the body. I'm like, okay, well, that's just not the right weight size. Let's try another one. Or let's try this exercise instead of this one. And really helping them navigate this fitness journey for their pelvic floor. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so, you know, I asked about how, what the time frame should be for someone looking to see progress in strengthening. What about with relaxing and people whose pelvic floors are too tight? You know, what I end up seeing more often, to be honest, is that a lot of people do have tension. Even if they have leakage and prolapse, it's, you know, we have to start by down training their pelvic floor and, and getting rid of some of that tension before we start strengthening. Um, and, you know, I think most people respond pretty well you know, I would say somewhere between four to six weeks if we're doing some of the manual stuff in the clinic or we're teaching them how to do some things at home virtually and then they're doing their stretches, they're doing their breathing. Um, there are different things called like vaginal trainers or dilators that they can use mm-hmm. at home to help relax their muscles. You can start, again, seeing results kind of between that four to eight week window. 
The biggest thing is that I always say it's not the one hour a week that I work with someone. It's everything that they do in between there. So it's, you know, are they doing their relaxation stuff? Are they um, making sure they're stretching? Are they checking in and, you know, taking standing breaks and not sitting for hours on end? Um, You know, all of these things really do make the difference. It's not the one hour I see them. So um, I think that that really helps people accelerate um, and make more progress than just, you know, the time that I'm working with them. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's the same in, in your fitness industry. If you go to a personal trainer, it's not the one hour you spend with them that's going to make a difference. It's everything you're doing, you know, out, outside of that one hour. So totally. Um, so now how about in regards to giving birth? So is there a connection um, or what is the impact of your pelvic floor strength or lack thereof have on your ability to have a vaginal birth? So there are so many factors that go into a vaginal birth. And so, but the way that I explain it is that, you know, we want these muscles, we work all throughout our pregnancy to have them be strong and supportive. Um, but really, once you get into that third trimester, to start focusing a little bit more on lengthening and relaxing. Because, you know, when you're giving birth, your uterus is a muscle that's contracting and the pelvic floor muscles that have been offering all of that support, we kind of need them to get out of the way. So your pelvic floor muscles aren't pushing, they're actually just softening and relaxing and your uterus is pushing baby out. Mm -hmm. So um, again, some of the things that we work a lot on are like doing a deep squat and holding it, doing some breathing, um, you know, doing a lot of work to kind of open up your pelvis, like sitting on an exercise ball and doing hip circles and just getting a lot of mobility and movement in the pelvis so things aren't so stiff. Um, And then learning how to push properly. So, you know, um, oftentimes, you know, if you have a medicated birth, the muscles down there are not under your voluntary control anymore. So I teach women how to maybe lie on their side instead of on their back to allow their pelvis to open and then to push properly. And almost like you're taking a poop. I, I tell people all the time when you are giving birth it feels like you're about to take the biggest poop of your life. <laughs> so, yep. But it's it's right. a baby. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so teaching people how to really exhale and bear down and open up the pelvic floor so that when game time comes during birth, they practice that and they're not like, okay, wait, what am I supposed to do? Um, so I think those are some things really focusing on a lot of relaxation and, um, you know, just teaching those muscles how to soften and let go. So I shared on my Instagram the other day a video talking about core exercises during pregnancy and how like really like there you shouldn't be doing traditional core ab movements, nothing like a sit up, you know, because we want to prevent diastasis um, recti or is it recti or recti? Both are fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've heard both. <laughs> both are fine. And someone had said to me at one point that every single pregnant woman will experience some level of DR to a point. Do you agree or disagree with that? Um, I feel differently. And the research actually shows it a bit differently. So there is, um, I've heard this recently too, that everybody will get prolapse and everybody will get diastasis. And, you know, even from, you know, myself as a mother, I'm just like, I refuse to believe that I am destined to have dysfunction. Like that is just not the way that I see it. The fact is a lot of women do because diastasis recti is really thinning between those abdominal wall muscles in the front. So the six-pack muscles that kind of midline just get stretched out and thinned, which of course would happen during pregnancy when you have a growing belly. But um, what happens is that if you're doing a lot of things like getting out of a chair or hiking up from a sit-up position when you're getting out of bed or doing abdominal exercises, Um, where you don't have really good engagement of your pelvic floor and your transverse abdominals, you're more likely to get that diastasis. Not everybody will get it. 
a lot of women do, um, and it will persist postpartum. There is some research that shows some of it will heal on its own if you did nothing. Um, by a year, some of it would get better in about 70% of people. But for some women, that's not the case. So again, I really encourage women to learn some of the techniques to avoid how to minimize diastasis, like rolling to your side to get out of bed, avoiding sit-ups and traditional crunches and things like that. Um, and then on the recovery side, you know, not going back to those things too quickly, really learning to engage the transverse abdominals and pelvic floor to to regain some of that connection at the midline before going to more traditional abdominal stuff. Yeah, because you can um, possibly not have DR in the during your pregnancy or not very severe, but it can actually worsen postpartum. Is that correct? Yep. It's totally variable, but you can have, I mean, we've, and we actually see people who have never been pregnant who have diastasis. Right. You can see it in men as well who are often like heavy weight lifters or fitness people, you know? So it's, um, you can see it in people who have never had babies. And again, it's all about pressure management and what that Mm -hmm. pressure management means. If there's too much pressure in that abdominal cavity, it has to go somewhere. So it starts Mm -hmm. going out towards the abdominal wall or it goes down to the pelvic floor in a lot of women, and that's what leads to prolapse or hemorrhoids or things like that. So um, again, just learning how to manage that pressure with your breath, engage the proper muscles, and then working under your threshold. Like if you do 10 push-ups and you're fine, and then you do 11 and your diastasis comes out, then you're like, okay, well, that's too, that's past my threshold. So always working underneath that level. And one sign that you have diastasis recti is what they call coning, correct? So correct. What, what, is, what is coning? So coning, it looks like an alien coming out of your belly. <laughs> but say if you were lying on your back and your legs are straight and you kind of do a little bit of a crunch up, it looks like a little football coming out of the midline of your belly. Um, and again, if you have this, it's not like a a doomsday sentence of like, oh my gosh, you're screwed. It's really, it just gives you information that that movement causes too much pressure and you need to modify. But coning is when there's too much pressure in that midline of your abdominals, that tissue just is um, kind of starts to bulge up and it just looks like a little football or a little alien coming on, coming out of your belly. So again, just gives you information that that activity is not appropriate or you need to scale back or move differently. And then really working on engaging your um, deep abdominals and then, and not holding your breath. That's another big one is that making sure people exhale when they're doing their fitness workouts and stuff like that. Before I did that post, I sent over the videos and the caption and everything to my physical therapist that's on my team. Um, we have a physical therapist on staff for our fit body app members. And just because it's, it's not my area specialty and I wanted to be sure, like I'm super paranoid constantly of not being scientifically accurate, you know? And and th- things can update and, you know, we can learn in this and that, but like at least always in the moment, I want to do my best. And she also said something to point out that you touched on is that diastasis recti can not only be aggravated or initiated by core exercises, but by any, any movement that causes pressure. And so for those of you listening that saw that post, it's something that I didn't totally clarify that it's not just about doing sit-ups. Correct. Right. It's, a, it's about doing like you, you use sit-ups or I'm sorry, push-ups as an example. So really anything that causes that pressure. hundred percent. I mean, I see this with women just getting out of a chair, you know, and that's something yeah. we do a dozen times a day or getting yeah. out of bed. We do that all the time and are in the middle of the night when we have to go pee. So it's, I would say even more often, it's the day-to-day movements. Again, it's not that one hour that you're doing yeah. something. It's everything that you do in between there. And so 
you do anything that's not 100% totally perfectly accurate, somebody's going to call you out on it. And that's yes. happened to, that's happened yeah. to me. And I'm saying, oh, I, I, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't know that that was the latest research or, you know, we're always evolving and growing. Right. And I think always thinking about, you know, we're trying to do our best to just educate the masses, you know? Right. And so, um, but yeah, I would say that it is often not just the one thing that people are doing. It's the combination of everything throughout the course of the day. Someone said to me the other day on that post, actually, she was like, I was doing rope pulls and I noticed coning. And that actually surprised me because I was like, wow, that's not even like a, you know, frontal position, you know? Right. Like that, so, you know, yeah, there's a variety of moves that you could be doing that could be causing this. hundred percent. I mean, I have a lot of women doing this, um, where they're in tall kneeling and they kind of lean back and even just leaning back, you can mm. see that ball happening, but that's something we do as moms all the time, leaning back to get my yeah. kids something in the back seat or so it's, you know, all of these things that, um, yes, that really commonly. And so teaching women, I think to look out for what does coning look like? What does kind of what's called invagination between those muscles look like a deep divot? And then just they can start monitoring themselves. Yeah, you know, I'm going to say, and this is something that like I'm fully prepared to be corrected on, <laughs> but I, I use the, well, because this is what I heard um, is that when coning happens, that is actually your like uh, internal organs kind of being pushed up and through. Is that correct or no? No, so it's not. Um, so okay. we, we don't know, right? And so oh, what it. it really is, is it this is pressure. And so yes, right. behind your abdominal wall are your internal organs. Um, but it's not like right behind there is going to be your small intestine. Um, but it's really, again, just pressure. And it could be, and it's, especially when you're pregnant, your baby is kind of in front of all of that. So when you yeah. see that coning, it's really just, you just have a thinning of your abdominal wall. So it's exactly what's behind your abdomen. Um, more often, what can also happen is what's called a hernia. So a diastasis is different from a hernia because a hernia is an actual tear in the muscle. And that's if you see something coming through a little hole often by your belly button or in your groin that's really like a little bit of intestine or your organs and that tends to be more painful um typically they have to be surgically corrected um if it starts to be painful or severe but you know um no a diastasis doesn't necessarily mean that it's like your gut's hanging out okay all right <laughs> i will refrain from using that analogy again um and good to know so um, how does diastasis recti um relate to pelvic floor dysfunction? Like if you have one, does it mean you have the other or can they be independent things? They can be independent, but there's a relationship there. And there was a research study that came out in, um, that also said that a lot of women who have diastasis are also having pelvic floor issues. So mm -hmm. we don't know if it's causational, but there is a relationship there. And, you know, I always explain this, like your, your whole pelvis and your abdominals are like a cat, like a can, a Coke can, you've got the top, the bottom, mm -hmm. and then the sides. So if you have um, a deficit somewhere in that can, it's going to affect the other areas. Often what leads to diastasis, again, is pressure mismanagement, that there's too much pressure somewhere. We can't always prevent that. It could just be pregnancy, um, but it's leading to a deficit in that wall. Now, what happens is because it's all part of the same canister, that can also mean it leads to a deficit in your pelvic floor, which is the bottom of the Coke can. So if we think about straining or lifting, if you're having a lot of pressure out towards your abdomen, you're likely often having a lot of pressure down towards your pelvic floor. So we'll often see women who have prolapse, who have weakness, um, again, sometimes vulvar varicosities or signs of just not having great um, support may also have diastasis recti. And so again, the way that we um, engage and kind of rehab that is that your, your pelvic floor muscles, which activate when you do a Kegel, 
co-contract with your deep transverse muscles, which are those deep abdominal muscles. So that deep transverse muscle is what helps bring the diastasis together. So when we're thinking about you know, postpartum exercise or even pregnancy exercises, just teaching people how to do that co-contraction of pelvic floor and TA together helps the diastasis and helps the pelvic floor together. So you actually um, brought up the exact topic that I wanted to talk about next because um, we actually, you and I just had our own private session just a few days ago or last week. And we talked about the TVA and diaphragmatic breathing um, and before we get there, I, you know, a lot of girls who follow me and, and are in the community know that I had some really severe hip flexor problems for actually years. When I was in Italy, unfortunately, they just did not know how to um, diagnose hip flexor issues. They told me my hip flexors were calcifying when it was just was really, yeah, it was, I, I, and I couldn't even get out of bed without lift, lifting my own leg oh to my get goodness. out of bed. They were so, Yeah. Um, I had a lot of issues and, you know, when I ended up moving to the United States and seeing a physical therapist here and what they told me, you know, as far as, you know, I needed to strengthen my TVA and my glute medias, my hip flexors were taking over too much of, you know, the work that, because I had a weak core and my, my core was not doing what it needed to do. So I really started focusing on strengthening my TVA and my glute medias to, you know, be strong enough to take back over what they should have been doing all along to give my hip flexors a rest. And there, there's an element of strengthening, you know, your hip flexors as well. But um, I attribute as of now, I mean, I've only been pregnant once, so I, do, I don't know entirely, but I haven't had any signs of diastasis recti. Um, and I think it's because I had pre-pregnancy, I had worked so much on strengthening my TVA and working on learning how to breathe with my diaphragm um, that, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. it. It wasn't obviously for pregnancy, but now it's benefited me in pregnancy. Now, with all that background information, something that you shared with me that was important for me to understand the distinction was that diaphragmatic breathing does not always need TVA engagement. That's correct. And so really, again, thinking about what are you trying to achieve? If you want to work on the strengthening activation connection um, aspect, then I think it's great to do a diaphragmatic breath. And then, you know, on the exhale, you do that TVA and pelvic floor Mm -hmm. contraction. Again, you often get a better contraction of the pelvic floor and TVA with an exhale. So that's perfect. But if you're just working on relaxation, which again, a lot of us need, or you may want to do in your third trimester, you can just breathe. You can just do diaphragmatic breathing and let the diaphragm soften the pelvic floor, but then you don't have to kind of actively tighten it on the Mm -hmm. way back up. You can just let it soften and then relax and soften and use that breath for the softening aspect. And that's really where I think it's often about balance. You know, even postpartum, if you're doing some, you know, um, activation work and just follow it up with some, some breathing to help with the relaxation aspect, because we don't, we often kind of miss that piece. Just like we stretch our hamstrings and our piriformis and, you know, our triceps, you've got to just kind of do the same thing and soften your pelvic floor, which you've just actively engaged afterwards. So, yeah, I was surprised to hear that there, that there can be a separation between the two. Cause I'm always so hyper-focused on you know, ensuring that I have a strong transverse abdominus, you know, let my hip flexors rest, you know, and it was like, oh, wow, okay. 
So there, there is a, a, a distinction between those two. There is. And that's great. I mean, what you describe is, is spot on. Like it's perfect to be able to, to do that breath and then contract on the exhale. And that's exactly what we teach people in physical therapy when we're working on activation and strengthening. Um, but yeah, you can just kind of stop at the breathing part to just work on the relaxation piece as well, which is what we, you know, again, if you're having pain, if you have that pelvic floor overactivity or you want to work on softening, that's kind of where we just say, just work on that breath while you do some stretches and and things like that. Perfect. So my last question for you, it might be a bit more of a personal one, but the name of the podcast is Your Best Life. And the point is that there's no such thing as one best life. And we all have different experiences and different priorities of what allows us to live our own version of a best life. So if you had to think of one experience or life lesson um, that has allowed you to live your best life, what would that be? To be open. When I think about now, like what my best life is, I mean, this is going to sound so cheesy, but I really feel like I'm living it. I mean, I have two beautiful and healthy children. I have a wonderful husband who we've had, you know, our ups and downs after having kids. But, you know, I really feel like he is my person in the world and that we're, we navigate these tough times together. And then I'm doing what I love with my job. I mean, I feel so lucky that I have a job that I love. I have a profession that I care about, that I'm passionate about. And, you know, I think when I was in my 20s and I thought about like, what kind of life would I want? You want, you know, a partner and kids and, you know, um, security and, and a job that you love. And I'm like, I sometimes I look around, I'm like, this is everything that I ever wanted. And, and some of that meant I had to take chances, you know, who I was, you know, I met my husband online. And, you know, when you read these, yeah, when you read these, I always say it's the best $30 I ever spent was that, <laughs> that one month on match.com. Oh my I love it. <laughs> but, you know, thinking about I had to be open to, you know, this person who didn't necessarily look or kind of fit the profile of somebody that I had dated in the past or where we lived initially wasn't necessarily where I thought I would live. Even going into pelvic floor therapy, it was like, oh, that's not really like the typical path. I thought I was going to be a trainer for the New Orleans Saints. And I said, you know, let me try this and just see if I like it. And so I think just be really being really open to experiences has really kind of helped me carve the path to the life that I have now that I would um, trade for nothing. So beautiful. I love it. Can you also share where everyone can find and follow you? Sure. Um, so I am I'm on Instagram as the vagina whisper. It's the dot vagina dot whisper. And um, you can find me online. My website is the vagina whisper.com. And so, you know, I'm just posting a lot of information about pelvic floor, about your lady bits, about motherhood and life and all the things that go along with that. Amazing. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. This was so informative. I can't wait for all the women and men to listen. (laughs) And we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much, Anna. Take care. That was my conversation with Sarah Reardon, also known as the Vagina Whisperer. <laughs> Luca, what did you think? Super educational because I had no idea men can have pelvic floor issues as well. Me neither. No, literally my mind is blown. Muscle-wise is the same, but you know, it's... Right. Even when she said that men can have diastasis recti, like mind blown. I had no idea, but it does make sense. Like anatomically, like men still have an abdominal wall, you know, men still have pelvic floor muscles. So that was definitely something that I learned. Um, I would love to see, like she said, kind of it being more integrated into, you know, your annual checkups and that being like a question that's asked and being referred out to a pelvic floor specialist. I think that that would be a really great area of progress. Um, because like I said, like I'm 32, I just turned 32. Like I'm about to have my first baby. Like I had no, I'm even in fitness and I have pretty good body awareness and I had no idea 
about anything pelvic floor health related and the fact that it's even related to your bowel movements. Like that's pretty amazing and super important. Super important. And the fact that, you know, it seems like we need to get a bidet. Like everyone is saying. <laughs> like, and finally, like I have so many people saying that we need a bidet. And I know we do because I grew up yeah. one and it's really weird not having yeah. one right now at home. Uh, I know. Yeah, so we're definitely going to look into it. And by the way, in, in Italy, uh, you said on, on the podcast, uh, during the pandemic, there was no problem of running, running out of toilet paper because people have right. been there. But you could not find, and that's what you know, my parents and my brothers were telling me, you could not find anywhere yeast and flour because people were baking and making pizza and bread at home. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh That's gosh. true. That is true. You oh could not find. So our toilet, you know, the Italian version of toilet paper was the yeast yeah. and flour because people were to make pasta and pizza. Well, and bread. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Um, I think this was a really great um, conversation overall about so many things, pelvic floor health. So I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Let us know on Instagram or in the Facebook group, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production.